All right, my friends, we've got a special edition of the the Change Journals. Uh, In the midst of uh, just historic, unprecedented flooding in uh, the Arkansas River Valley, um, Arkansas and Oklahoma, I'm looking out my window and it's dry as a bone. I see where I stirred up a lot of dust yesterday um, mowing the yard and... I actually was talking to my friend Chris Benjamin. We were talking about the flood and and the impacts, emotional impacts and all of that. And um, Chris and I just thought that maybe it would be very helpful if we just um, recorded the conversation and maybe we could all benefit from it. So, Chris, thanks for hanging out with me today. Hey, Tracy, I agree with you 100%. This is great. I'm uh, I'm glad to be a part of the, the change journals. Yeah. Well... I have a story, and it's going to sound like a joke, but no kidding. Okay. Preacher walks into a neighborhood bar yesterday. Wait, nobody can identify that that was me. No, 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 no. It wasn't you. <laughs> I, I, I okay, know for sorry. a fact it wasn't you. Sorry. Preacher okay, walks okay. into a bar yesterday, has a, a, a trailer and a truck. He walks in. And he says, you guys are going to get flooded. How about I get some of my people to move as much stuff out as you possibly can and we'll help you sandbag it. Mm-hmm. That's love, isn't it? Uh, yeah. I like that story. I like that story. Uh, because what you have is you have a, a individual who just shows up and says, here, I'm here to help you. Uh, people who were strangers yesterday and will be friends tomorrow. I'm here to help you. Yeah. And that's a true story. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't make that up. That actually happened. Saw it on Facebook. And what's more, okay. the preacher, the preacher posted on Facebook, um, East side, the, the, the new guy at, uh, East side, uh, church, um, uh, and it's the 91st Street Bar. Um, yeah. And, and he calls, he, he puts it on Facebook, and he puts this call to action, and he says, East Side people, be ready to come help these people. Okay. Yeah. I don't, I, I don't well, know the end of the yeah. story, but wow. Yeah, I'm glad to hear that. I, you know, I think what I, I really like about the story is uh, – well, it's it's a story of service and just willing to help, and there's a need there. Um, at the same time, I gotta admit, I'm so I'm so I'm so deep in the thick of that kind of stuff that then my analytical brain starts to kick in, and I start going, "Okay, but wait, did they accurately assess needs? Did they find out who needs what? Are the resources being used appropriately?" And, and I'm missing the point when I do that, mm-hmm. but I do that all the time. You know, it's, it's kind of the nature of the the nature of things, not just for us, not just for me, but maybe for our culture as well. And I'm finding that to even be more true. Yeah. And I think what spurred this conversation, you just called to check on me. And um, yep. I I appreciate that a ton. Uh, and, and we started talking about uh, a gratitude journal entry that I did this morning because you and I kind of talk about journaling a lot and how, how we make it functional and how we use a journal to help us process our thoughts without 
emotionally vomiting on other people because yes. we're pretty good at that, both of us. Yeah. Um, and, and what I wrote in my journal is uh, that I am grateful that most of my life I have, I have had the luxury of expecting to be safe anytime, any place, anywhere. And that's just not the case right now. And I think that's why it's so terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that. And I remember that. And see, and, and what I really was, you know, the, the benefit in our conversation, and I'll tell you, the reason I called to check was because I was, I was tired of checking on people through the medium of social media and texting hmm. because it's, it's disembodied. Explain uh, that. Okay. Um, you know, here we are talking to each other with our voices and you're, um, you're in a place looking at floodwaters getting close to you. I'm on the highest point in Fort Smith. If the waters cover my house, then we will officially change our name to Atlantis, uh, because there, there will be nothing above water, uh, here where I'm at. And, um, so, but you know, here, here we are contacting each other through this medium, but we're still using our voices and we're communicating in the same mode that we're used to communicating with if we were face to face. So there's something about human speech uh, that is still somewhat embodied. Um, I mean, this just goes into the whole, I mean, everything that's going on around us is because it has to do, you know, we're not, you know, we're not in the national news right now because, uh, you know, a large portion of the Fort Smith population uh, is subject to mental spiritual attack. You know, that, that's not, although that's true, but that's not the reason why we're getting the attention. Because we're, we're giving them the great video, right? We're giving them great video, but also, you know, at its, at its basic level, what it does is it threatens our, it threatens our physical uh, well-being. So you can't get into Fort Smith. We are, uh, you know, we are an island. We, uh, you know, the roads have been closed. We've been disconnected. We, we, uh, you can't get trucks in here, which means you can't get food in here. And so, you know, and I can make it all graphic and grim, but if this was just a mental problem, then what you end up with is like a lot of that clickbait that we see all the time. Uh, 60% of Fort Smith residents say there is no hope. And we all say, oh, well, that's sad. <laughs> Sorry to hear that. Let's move on. Uh, but when you can show an actual change in the physical structure or a change in the physical environment we live in, and then it triggers the idea that we're all threatened, um, then we start to respond. We start to pay attention. We, you know, the fact of the matter is, no matter what happens, we are embodied creatures. And our natural environment is not social media. Our natural environment is not, uh, you know, communicating to one another virtually. Um, so, which kind of leads me back to relationships and community. And and in a, in yeah. in in a previous reboots episode, you and I talked a lot about just you helping me process my struggle with relationships and community, and especially church. Um, mm -hmm. years ago, and I'm fascinated by how much we need one another right now, and and 
you're, you talk about how we're not built to communicate on social media. And, yeah. um, you know, we, we were created to live with one another when life was incredibly unsafe. If we, yeah. got, if we got separated from our tribe, we were going to die. Yeah. And, and yeah. at this point, you know, I'm not physically able to sandbag our house if it needed it. I knew that without any shadow of a doubt, I was going to be relying on my West Ark Church family and my Community Bible Church family to say, I need help, y'all. My mom and I need help help and y'all would have been yeah. right there and yeah no oh worries. my gosh I mean, and we wouldn't be thinking about it and we wouldn't be worried about publicizing it um where i'm seeing the church the visible church in action right now and that's why i like your opening story uh is that it's neighbor to neighbor friend to friend uh brothers and sisters and there's no there's no distinction between well this group and that group we're we're all like, okay, you need your stuff moved out of your house. We can do that. We're going to do what we can. Uh, we're going to, you know, and we're going to accept the things that we can't do. And, uh, but, and we're going to trust, but yeah, everyone's going to help. Um, and we don't need, we don't need an act of Congress to do that. We don't need legislation to do that. Now, you know, that has its place and that will take place, I think, to, you know, to address issues of infrastructure and all that. But when we keep, re when we keep, um, I don't know what the word is here, the human to human issues like us coming over and helping you sandbag or us coming over and helping you put out mulch or whatever it is, you know, move your stuff. And I've got so many different stories of that that have happened right now. When we keep wanting to turn that into some sort of organizational, institutional, mm -hmm. uh, online computerized process we're dehumanizing it mm. and i don't know why it's so hard for us to learn that lesson that dehumanizing these things is is always the problem um and even when you do it in the name of good i was really worried that the story about your your preacher with the trailer was going to go a different direction that that the guy shows up with a trailer and he says, I have a bunch of stuff, stuff that has been sent out by, you know, the great, the great governments of the world. And here it is yours and you have no place to put it, but I have given you stuff. Therefore I am wonderful. <laughs> mm. uh, yeah. I, I'm, uh, but anyway, yeah. That's not we, what that guy, what the bar owner needed. He needed to get as much of his inventory and, yeah. furniture out as he possibly could. Yeah. 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 We don't need more stuff on the top of it. I've seen government largesse and government, uh, thinking or institute, not just government, but institutional thinking. It will, um, you know, it, it, it's the sort of things that, uh, I remember working in benevolence, you would see people and they'd come by and they'd say, Hey, listen, I, um, you know, I need, uh, I wanted to know what y'all have to give. And we would give out, uh, whatever, food donations we had, you know, usually it was stuff that was, um, really kind of unhealthy food if you ate a lot of it. And, uh, and people would say, well, beggars can't be choosers. No, they can't. But then you're wanting to worry about the fact that this person can't get a job 
And the reason they can't get a job is because they're going to spend every day this week going around trying to get food and then trying to get their medicines. And they're trying to get their medicines because they've got diabetes because they've been eating all yeah. of the uh, leftover donuts and honey buns that uh, somebody has donated. And it, it just keeps feeding the problem. And, yeah. you know, and it's not even about us being smarter or being stronger. Um, you know, I'm learning in recovery that I can do more. I can try more. I can try harder. I can focus more. I can uh, put more effort into it. And that's the kind of thinking that's gotten me into the problem in the first place. Ouch. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And um, And this is why your wife says we're twin siblings. Because we're so much Well, you know, I mean, I think we've learned the, the, the lessons as we've, as we've come along through all this, but I, I think there's a place at which we as a culture need to realize that too, that just working harder, doing more, striving harder, that's not going to do it. You were talking about the fact that, um, you know, we've been, we've, you know, it's, it's good as children that we learn that, um, that, Hey, we're going to be safe. We're going to be protected. The adults are going to look out for us. And it's sad when there's children that don't have that experience, but I think even as adults and even more and more in our culture, you know, we, we sort of live by this mantra that, well, you know, if we do more of this and if we do more of that, then we'll protect everybody and we'll create a perfect society. And you know what? Things are better. Technologically, they are better. Uh, thank you, Lord, for penicillin. Thank you for, uh, the technology of levees. You know, all of this stuff has, uh, paid off, but when those things don't completely work or they can't stand up, to nature, our response is to blame the builders of the Tower of Babel and say, why didn't your brick and mortar uh, succeed? And again, we're missing the point as a, you know, as a people, we need to re- we need to go through recovery where we realize, look, we need to work into this ways to trust more in God. Yeah. Um, wow. And, you know, uh, oh, yeah. sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, no, you go ahead. You go ahead. Um, I remember one of the first things I learned when I went to work for the city of Fort Smith and was working with, um, uh, with engineers. Um, and I had to learn quickly that, uh, there's no such thing as pre- flood prevention. There is flood mitigation. Mother yeah. nature is always ultimately the boss. Right. So, yeah, flood mitigation. I think, do they also use the term flood management? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and, and I think that's where, you know, a lot of recovery and a lot of ministry is, it's not about making stuff going away. It's the danger of the quick fix. Uh, that's why, you know, in Celebrate Recovery, uh, anybody who's familiar with that, the five guidelines, my favorite is guideline number three. We're here to support one another, not fix. Yep. Because, and, and that's good for, for two reasons. One, it tells the person in recovery, okay, look, the, everyone here will support you. Like we will come out and we will support your family when you need sandbags, uh, when we, when we need to just give you a word of encouragement. Uh, <laughs> but it also helps those of us who are the caregivers and who have the temptation to think we will create the fix. And if everyone will just do what we say and do it our way, then everything will be fixed. And if everyone, and then that leads into another problem because then 
all the fixers in the world say, this is great because if we can fix everybody else in the world, then guess what? If they don't have problems, I won't have problems. Oh, wow. And we're just put, yeah, and we're just putting the locus of our control out there in the community. And it's such a sick thing. And, uh, and what we're missing is we're teaching people, okay, look, we, we, don't, we don't fix problems in life. We learn to manage them. Um, and you know, some people kind of coming from evolutionary biology and they say that, you know, well, we're, we're really herd creatures cause we stick together. I don't like to think of us as herd creatures. I do. And you use this word. I do like to think of us as tribe creatures because, what's, um, yeah, what's the difference? Oh, there's a big difference. Uh, uh, herd creatures follow instincts, but instincts can be wrong. Um, I grew up with cattle, and let me tell you, you can confuse cattle real easily. I mean, you use their instincts against them to move them from one pen to another. Uh, you, you, can, you can frighten them for all the wrong reasons. You can get them all stirred up. Tribes, though, they're tribes because, not because of instinct, but because of culture. They speak the same language. They eat the same food. They, they identify themselves with certain banners and colors and customs tribes have developed a way that not only keeps everybody alive at the moment but tribes exist across time from generation to generation it's what you it's why israel has 12 tribes uh they're not the 12 nations they don't start out as the nation of israel they start out as the tribes tribes are just big families and uh, you know herds are just animals but tribes are people who are able to create art, who are able to tell story, who are able to um, say, this is good, this is bad. You know, people say that during times of disaster, and this is what we're looking at right now, that you see, you see herd mentality, that, uh, you know, there's going to be rioting and looting because, uh, you know, people are going to just give in to their baser instincts. And again, this is all that um, uh, humanist nonsense that gives us stuff like eugenics and, uh, everything else. And I'll we'll say that discussion for another time, but I've got no patience for that kind of thinking anymore. I noticed. Tribe, yeah. <laughs> tribes. Uh, well, you know, and, and part of the reason is, is because we're, you know, there's two tendencies among us. We either want to believe that uh, uh, we're God and we can fix everybody, or we want to believe that we're animals and how we behave doesn't really matter. And the, the fact is we got to learn to be human. And I think tribe is a good place for humans to come together. Because uh, now tribe is often used negatively to say that, you know, that I've got my tribe, you've got yours and um, and that we're we're partitioning one another. But it doesn't have to be that way. Tribes can come together. Um, you know, we we recognize that we've got differences, but we can you know, we can help each other. And um, and, you know, and so we do. We speak different languages. We speak languages. We have common points of reference and. Uh, you know, a lot of your audience right now are people that are in the recovery tribe. Well, they get it. They've been down the road. But even if you're not in that tribe right now, there's a way to be welcomed in and there's a way to be brought in. And then there's a way for the wisdom of people who have gone down this path for years to teach those who are just getting started. And that's written into the tribe. Um, we're going to help you and your mom out. And we're not going to allow people to scam you or other people to hurt people because we're going to say that's not the way we do things in our tribe. I mean, that's why we need to not, you know, I mean, there's all this concern about, well, okay, what's, 
what's the big power going to do for me? What's the big corporation or the big government or the big whatever going to do for me? How are you going to keep these people from scamming us? You know, we worry about this, that during times like this, there are people who go around and scam the elderly or the vulnerable and tell them, yeah, I'm going to roof your house, but you have to pay me money now. I'm saying that's where tribe needs to step up and say, if you do this to our old people, then we will, you know, we will protect them and we will make sure you don't do this. You know, and I'm not talking about revenge. I'm talking about protection and coming together. So I don't know. That, that's, that's some of my thoughts on tribe and, and, well, see that you know, that yeah. that kind of takes that kind of takes us back to the preacher who walked into the bar and said, "Let us help you." And it takes it takes two yeah. entities to decide: Do I want to be part of that tribe? And and they, they they're already a mutual tribe because they're neighbors, right? And so right. Th- this tragedy, I guess, was an opportunity to finally make the introductions. You know, we don't do things the way we used to. Every new neighbor gets a plate of uh, fresh cookies or a pie. You know, we just mm-hmm. don't. But we tend, in in our part of, of the country, to come together uh, and, and offer that help and support. And what I love about that is that it was unconditional love and support. There was no quid pro quo to that let us help you end of story and so it's up to both parties to then decide if that relationship has any sort of a future exactly and 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 you know and the preacher in that story summoned his tribe he said hey come on everybody we're going to do this because why well because this is what we do this is who we are um israel has a way, you know, if you look in the Old Testament, you read the story of the Old Testament, in their founding story, their core story is the fact that, uh, you know, we were once foreigners and slaves. We were, uh, you know, we were abused and used by the great empire, which was Egypt. And so the the, the elements of that story were, number one, that's not the way you're going to do it in your group and you don't ever want to become that kind of an empire. And number two, when you have a foreigner, an alien, a stranger among you, you will not treat them the way that you were treated in Egypt. What you will do is you will show hospitality. Why? Because that's who we are. And, and that's their core story. Um, you know, we show hospitality because this is who we are. Uh, not because some big empire or some big institution says this is the way it has to be done. Now, at the same time, that doesn't mean that anybody who comes to me and just say, hey, I understand that you're the people who treat people with hospitality. Um, well, here's what I want. Okay, that's not hospitality. That's, uh, that's, that's just greed. And, you know, I, I'm under no obligation. And I don't think any of us are under any, any obligation that again goes into this culture of being the fixers who turn our mission into fixing everybody and making everybody happy. And if we make everybody happy, then guess what? We get the affirmation of others and that's our fix. And then there aren't enough resources to, to help people who need it versus yeah. those who and, think they deserve it. Right. And yeah. God gets no glory out of that. Uh, uh, there's no, there's no benefit in that. Um, that again, that just 
but it, it, it's the idea of one of the things that churches have struggled with in the last so 20, 30 years is, are we truly, uh, you know, people who are called, you know, are we a tribe of God's people uh, called to be light and salt in the world? Or are we a vendor of religious goods and services? Mm. And, and that's not my language. Uh, other people have used that. But, but when you think about it, when we become the vendor of religious goods and services, this is, this is the reason why people don't trust churches. Is because they've been burned by churches that think that their mission is, and they're well-intentioned. They're well-intentioned. I mean, I don't think there's a lot of evil people out there uh, working at this, but that's how sin is so subtle. It just, it creeps in and, and um, and then we think that the you know the, the good thing that we're doing actually becomes something that distracts people from God, and we get ourselves into the business of thinking again. We've got to fix. We've got to repair. Uh, we have this. We'll give this to you. We'll you know we I always try to avoid this in worship. You know, there's always that uh, line when you get on the. Uh, certain airlines and they say we know that you have choices when you fly thank you for choosing us i don't want to say that when you come worship with us <laughs> I, I want to say something much deeper than that not just did you enjoy your attendance today could you please rate us and remember nothing matters but a five i'd rather say wow. <laughs> yeah. yeah you get it i mean yeah. you can help me explain what i'm trying to explain here but i think the you know the, i mean really i think we're all looking for something much deeper than that if and I don't know. Maybe we're. Maybe some people aren't. Maybe they're just looking for a you know a good rocking experience for one hour, and um, you know that, that's fine uh, if that's what you need. That that's great. But uh, that's not what I want to offer. Um, I want to be able to say you know uh, okay, uh, I'm going to come help you sandbag your house, and then later on when we need something, you know, you'll come help us. Um, I look at people like the Amish and, you know, they, uh, technologically, uh, they're, they're definitely behind the times. I think that's an understatement. And, uh, but what do they do? They live in community. They help one another. Why do they do it? Because it's who they are and it glorifies God. Um, and, and yet what does, what does Facebook culture do or and I don't want to be absolute about this I mean I know there's a lot of good that it does but on the whole it tends to isolate us and it doesn't build community and you know what else yeah. speaking of Facebook I'm going to chase a rabbit here but I know you'll agree because yeah. you're an artist yeah so yeah here here's what I think I think anyone who has their phones uh their fonts the default setting as some sort of a comic sans serif, Facebook should yeah. ban them from posting screenshots. <laughs> Why? Because <laughs> it's awful. Well, of course, part of that is is because, like, can we have better options than comic sans, you know? Exactly. I mean, a comic sans gets such a, uh, oh, poor comic sans. It's the, uh, nobody likes comic sans. <laughs> but no, um, somebody does. I don't know. It's like the Chuck Cunningham of fonts. We just wish it would go away and we'll never <laughs> believe that it ever existed. That's Richie Cunningham's older brother, yeah. for those who don't know. See, you've been told it's right. out there. But, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but again, you know, it, and, and here's the deal. Um, 
you know, that, that's, that's the downside of it is that, um, you know, we have this kind of pseudo community that we create. And I'll say this, Facebook's better than no community. And, and, and here's what's amazing to me when I look at scripture. Paul the Apostle is writing letters to these churches and he's saying, you know, oh, I wish I could be there face to face, but I can't. So I got to do this thing where I write a letter and there's formal, you know, there's formal patterns of writing the letter. Okay, we get it, Paul. It's the next best thing to being there. That's a callback. And so it's like, you know, and, um, you know, but it'd be better if you were here. And yet, out of that lesser option comes scripture, which is what guides all of us. But scripture doesn't remain scripture disembodied. It becomes scripture that we speak and tell and communicate to one another over and over again. Wow. Um, yeah. Your Bible was not meant to be read um, in a easy chair with a uh, cup of coffee. And then you take a fo- few Instagram photos showing everybody that you're having a Bible study. I mean, it's meant Ouch. to be read out loud in a room. Ouch. Uh, yeah. But at the same time, you can't be dogmatic about this stuff. We do need to read it alone and privately. Sure. Yeah. But let's not limit it to that. Let's let's make it something that we, and I think we do that. And we do that a lot. And I think that's what podcasts are doing for us right now. Um, I like your ideas on journaling. And if I take this in another direction, this is your journal, your podcast, so you have to control this. But um, <laughs> I like your ideas on journaling. That, yeah, what we were saying earlier in our own conversation was uh, Facebook has become the or all social media where if I can, you know, I, I upchuck all of my anxieties and put them out there and I receive a few likes or a few comments and the comments are people trying to fix me and change me. And it's this idea that if we could all read each other's minds and we would have greater understanding, actually we don't, we get, we have less understanding. Oh, we freak um, each other out with all of this flood stuff. Even when the information yeah. is accurate and we're showing pictures uh, beyond the, the the barriers. We're just creating uh-huh. traffic hazards. Now, if 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 you live if you live in the area and you can walk there, okay, you know yeah. you yeah. you probably need to keep an eye on the water levels. But yeah. if you're traveling 15 miles out of the way, or in our case, it's going to take us 45 minutes to get to town. Um, when we can get to town again. <laughs> Um, right, but right. but when when you're clogging up the the what roads are open just to show your friends how bad your flood is, man, yeah. that that just look. I don't see any water anywhere in sight in my backyard or my front yard. Even the gutters and the creeks are dry at this moment. Half a mile from me, homes are underwater up to the roof line. So that's bizarre, but we're going to be safe unless something horrible happens. And it is upsetting for me to see people going on Facebook and sharing with their friends and then talking about how awful it is, because then what happens is my friends from all over, my family members from all over the country and all around the world then start calling in and wonder why we haven't skedaddled because it's awful. And then I show them pictures and like, look. Right. Right. 
when, when social media started taking off about 10, 12 years ago, the, the, you know, and again, there are advantages and disadvantages to this. Uh, David and Joyce Chadwell tell me all the time that, you know, in 1974, they're missionaries in Africa. They go to Africa. There's, you know, they have to send messages back and forth to people via mail. So there's a three or four week lag between the time that their parent even know if they've made it safely because they, where they're going, they can't make phone calls. And so they have to wait for this slow process of communication, which they didn't know the alternative. So they accepted it, but it is much nicer than that. I can get a text that says, Hey, we arrived safely. Okay, great. We've got a, you know, we've got a team overseas right now. That's nice. But one of the things I've learned is that when there's, and, and, and this is where I think you're helping us a lot from your background in journalism, but where there's reporting or pseudo reporting or amateur reporting going on, I've learned to say, okay, I don't understand the whole situation because I'm not there. There's pieces of information that I don't know and there's things that are being filtered. And, and one of the things I would want to, and I, I have, I don't know if I have any right to do this. I, well, the only position I can stand from is as a consumer of journalism uh, or as a you know as a watcher of the journalistic process my plea to young journalists is do not tell me what the news is on youtube facebook social media i can figure that out for myself <laughs> you, know, you don't know it any better than i do but somewhere along the line we got the idea that that's the way to do it um you know, tell me a story, show me a story. That's fine. But when there's news being reported, I have to accept the fact I don't know everything there. Now me right here in Fort Smith, I can tell anybody out there. I can say, look, here's the situation from my vantage point. It's not that I have the definitive word. It's just that I can assess my situation here. And, um, and again, I think that's the other thing is we're all scrambling to have the definitive word, which is another you know, as long as we're combining theology and journalism, where else are you going to find this, folks? Theology and journalism no, right. brought together in social media. And, yeah. But it is. All of life All of life is theology, and that's why you are a good theologian. And, uh, and anyway, all of theology is life. And, and we all want to have the definitive word, and that's another way in which we play God. Because God uses words to create reality. God uses words to create the universe. And I think that, you know, if we can say, this is a potato. No, it's a potato. Then whoever wins gets to shape reality. But that, that's, that's, not, that's not what we were meant to do. Um, and so it's a disaster. No, it's not a disaster. It's catastrophic. I mean, we've, we've just taken everything out of the vocabulary box and dumped it on the table. And, you know, like what kind of words are we going to use? Oh, I think it's safe to say this is a disaster. I mean, it's a disaster. legally, okay, so, legally, yeah. and by law, by law, and by you know, it's it's a disaster. It that there has been a disaster oh, yeah. declaration. So yeah, it's a disaster. Well, see, now I have to now I have to clarify. It's like yeah, I'm not putting that down, but I'm just talking. So let's say <laughs> let's say this is you know this is a real deal as I understand it. You know, like on websites and stuff, this is a 500 year event. This is you know this is unique. We've never been here before, but. Okay, so this is this is one of those that definitely earns the the badge or the labels of catastrophic disaster, et cetera, et cetera. 
But when catastrophic and disaster and words like that are used for everything, right. everywhere. Yes. Well, you know, what happens to their energy? What happens? We, it, it, it's the, it's the cautionary tale of the little boy who cried wolf. You know, it, it, we, we don't even, we don't even know how to process things anymore. So let's reserve these categories for situations like this. But then also yes. we can say, you know, I mean, it, you see, I go back to Bible cause that's my tribe. That's where I, that's the, that's where I learned. And, and, you know, uh, you got Psalm 46, God is a, uh, refuge and strength and, and ever present help in times of trouble. Okay. Then he goes on to describe the catastrophes, the sort of things that happen. Um, and just so happens that part of that is mountains falling into the sea. Huh. Okay. That's yeah, I would, big. I would say the governor would declare a disaster declaration in that incident, too. You kind of hope so. You know, <laughs> I mean, you kind of hope so at that point. That's kind of like, but again, what arrogance is it that we have to get politicians together to say, okay, mountain just fell into the sea. Uh, can we all take a vote? Do we agree? And of course, why do we have to do that? And I get it. I get it that these things have to happen. And, and boy, I got into this podcast with you, and now I'm like, you know, someone just uh, <laughs> just just griping. But uh, but but I'm not griping. I'm actually very happy and joyful, despite the way I sound. Because you look back at it, what is it's always it always has to do with money. Oh yes, you know? yeah. And I get that if they are managers and stewards of public funds. Then yeah, they got to have a process. Yes, they got to have a way of doing this. And I think I think Governor Hutchinson is doing an incredible job. You know, he was one of the first senior leaders at the Department of uh, of uh, Homeland Security, and it's showing. He has got he's got emergency services crews, everybody coordinating. I um, I I have been certified in a lot of the um, DHS and FEMA training stuff, and they got it going on. I'm really proud of them. Well, let's, okay, let me use that as a jumping off point. Um, here's a good thing. You know, I don't know. I like to believe that once upon a time there was a golden age where, you know, in, in times like this, uh, Governor Hutchinson, uh, you know, all of our elected officials that we've got who've been here, and, and I think everybody, you know, everybody has come with good intentions to see what they can do. Um, agree or disagree with them, agree with their politics, don't agree with their politics. What we say right now is we say, you're the leader, you're the one in charge, you tell us what we need to do, I'm going to stand back and let you do your job and get out of your way. And that's the way I feel about all those guys. Uh, Governor Hutchinson, right. I say, you know, hey, man, thank you for doing what you're doing. And, and, and I don't even want him to have to worry about coming out and thanking me or anybody else for the good work we've done. It's like, right. well, look, we're, we're just doing exactly what we should be doing. So, you know, we don't need to be handing out awards. And, and, and these guys are going to do their job. But unfortunately, I think this is where the, the, the public, you know, whatever happens over here in the public sphere where we have these people who are managing public funds, and then this private world that I set up through my social media network, through my, you know, group of friends, which actually is no longer just private, but it is public. It's somewhere in between now is not the time for me or anybody else to criticize these people. Yes. Now, you know, if I see danger, 
okay, I need to go in there and I need to say, hey, listen, you sure that's the right thing to do? You know, yes. I mean, but, but we, we get behind our leaders. Um, I like the way that uh, old Mr. Fred Rogers used to say it. Look to the helpers, you know, that, that you, know, you can always trust the helpers, the people with the badge. There's this idea. And I think that's one of the things about our tribe is we have the leaders of the tribe. We have the people who, you know, whatever they, uh, they have the banner, they have the colors, they have the, you know, they have the, the marks that say, okay, they're the people that we, that we make accountable to be our leaders. But then when everything is like, you know, well, I can't believe that he's making that decision or she's making that call. I don't like it because I'm upset today. And besides, they're not my party. So I'm just going to be upset. And this is the way all of them are. And every right. time that we do that, yes. in four, yeah, this is the thing. That's the kind of stuff that you need to go write down in your journal. <laughs> yeah. And if it yeah. and if it has shelf life later on, then you can make a public statement with it. But you need to keep that in your journal because all that does is that just keeps infecting us with the vi- with the virus of ingratitude, the virus of of being angry. And and this is the this is the sad dilemma that I'm in is that. I have to say, you know, oh, I'm so tired of Facebook. I'm so tired of social media. I'm so tired of all this because it hasn't made us a better people, not really on the whole. And we think it has. But I'm the one who has to gripe about griping. <laughs> and uh, and so that's okay. I can carry this burden. You know, I'm I'm Batman. I can I can handle it. So um, I don't know. It, it just. And I hate that. And I don't, I, I can talk to you because you're a friend and now people will hear this. And I think people, I hope that people behind it all will see the good humor that lies behind this where none of this is absolute, but yeah, let's, let's wake up a little bit. And in times like this, realize, okay, you know what? I may disagree with my, my governor. I may disagree with my, I don't, I don't, I don't have a, well, anyway, I'm not speaking for me, but yeah, you know, it, it, but now's not the time. Let's, let's help our neighbors out. You know, I mean, um, I, I got a random thought that just reminds me of oh, yeah? Tracy, and I don't know if it's okay. Uh, I'm trying to remember, and I can't, I can't recall his name right now. I'll have to look it up. Uh, the um, the founder of Habitat for Humanity. Um, I can't you know, help Habitat, you with that. One. Yeah. yeah, I know. Well, and I, I apologize. That's okay. We're on the fly. Uh, to them. Yeah, but um, the um, I remember listening to them in. Uh, uh, all back in the 90s, and they talked about how, you know, we have all these different religious groups, uh, religious tribes, and um, there's so many things that divide us. We, we have different thoughts on, um, you know, the church leadership. We have different thoughts on, um, um, you know, just doctrine, scripture, inspiration, whatever, you know, the end of times, um, all, all of that. And and yet he said, the one thing that we can agree on is the theology of the hammer. Hmm. And, and the theology of the hammer is, you know, don't we all think that, you know, people who don't have a house should have a house? Yeah. And, um, and so let's work out of that theology. And, um, you know, and since then, since those days, I have been glad to see groups, you know, do you look at Jimmy Carter now. People love Jimmy Carter now. You may have hated his politics. You I may have know. thought he was a devil back in the 70s. But what's he doing? He's building houses with Habitat for Humanity. And everybody's like, okay, it's a good thing. Yeah. You know, and, and, and again, we, we don't have to. You can't do a gotcha on that. And if you do, it fails. It's like, it's on well, they're you. building houses. 
Yeah, they're building houses. That's a resentment. That's not on. Exactly. That's not on Jimmy. That's somebody yeah. carrying a resentment. That's right. And and even when those resentments get institutionalized, and somebody tries to, and I love this phrase, this new phrase, when somebody tries to throw shade on it, you know, it okay, maybe, but it still stands up. You know, there 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 are things that are just kind of, you know, un unqualified good it's a, it's like yeah it's just good that's a, that's a good thing to do so yeah they were talking about the theology of the hammer and I'm, and i'm seeing more and more of that like you see it in suburb recovery you see it in other groups where it's like you know despite our theological and traditional differences there's certain things that we all agree on um and um you know we can sort out those other differences those are things for us to have interesting conversations about and uh, and then when and then when those differences upset us and alarm us, those are things that we need to go write about in our journal privately. You know, you, you said that your journal entry was about gratitude. Now that's the kind of thing I'd love to see on Facebook, <laughs> yeah. because because that's a good word. That's like a psalm. You know. So okay, we we yeah. have right. <laughs> we have done satellite imagery. Yeah. And before I let you go. Mm-hmm. What do you say we wrap up with, With, pardon the horrible pun, but we've got a drone and we're skimming the floodwaters at 500 feet here. Individual okay. kind of crunchy stuff. Um, I'll, I'll share one and you share one. Uh, so okay. he, so okay. here's, a, here's, here's the question. What do you think is one thing, whether it's a journaling technique or something else, that someone in the midst of this flooding situation can do to manage emotions? Because like I said, I'm high and dry and I'm pretty stressed. Um, yeah. and, and, and I know that, that you are too, and I don't mean to be whining. I just want to have that as a benchmark to understand that, um, man, there's so many people in our community who are just hurting um, so yeah. what's one thing that any of us can do to help us manage our emotions, wait for the water to finish rising, begin receding, and then start rebuilding our lives? Well, um, I think it's the second greatest commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. Um, that I, I cannot process everything that's going on on the city, county, state, even the national level to address this. And I can't process that as if I'm, if I make myself the center of the universe where all of this has to come through me and all of this has to meet my expectations. And if it doesn't, then I'm going to bite my nails and be anxious about it. And I'm doomed. But like I've seen over and over again, when, when, when one of my neighbors has a need and either, you know, and it might be that I get there and help them move their stuff or help them clean up, or I'm helping my neighbor who's helping their neighbor because what I am is I, okay, I got to use a Bible image. It's like that biblical image of Moses who lifts his arms. And as long as he has his arms up, Israel wins the victory. But he's, he can't keep his arms up forever. So here come Aaron and her, and they hold his arms up when he doesn't have the strength to hold it up. So maybe I'm not right there doing 
you know, maybe I'm not the guy that rolls up at the 91st Street bar and says, hey, I'm going to help you move your stuff. But I am the person who's helping the person who's encouraging the person to help their neighbor. So maybe I'm holding somebody's arm up right now by saying, hey, you just check on the folks next door and make sure they're okay. And if they're not, you know, and you need support and strength, whatever that is, uh, I'm here for you too. And so we get this big chain of everybody supporting each other and we're all trusting God. I, I hope that made sense. <laughs> well, I think the first thing that you did for me, and I know you're doing for a lot of other people, is pick up the phone and call and say, how you doing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because I didn't want it to be disembodied. I've texted enough people today that, you know, text is text is so horrible. You can't hear the tone of my voice. And, you know, I'll tell you what, anybody who's listened this far and said, man, you know, I don't know. I didn't get a whole lot out of this and everything. I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll give you simply, I'll give you one thing. Never have an argument on text. There you go. You can take that one home with you <laughs> and you'll, you'll, because you can't tell tone. It doesn't. It's not the best way to settle matters. Um, but even then, it's also not the best way to show concern. I think when we listen in, we, we hear our voices and, you know, and some of us just need to, and, and there's reminders. There's, well, go to the wisdom of, okay, I'll, I'll put a, I'll put a sub point. You know, if the, if the first one was love your neighbors yourself, go check on your neighbor. The, um, you know, the other one is listen to the wisdom of your tribe. And that's not just the wisdom of those you know, within our tribe, within our tribe of people, uh, whoever that tribe is, we're not the first people. Yeah, even though we call it a catastrophic 500-year event flood, we're not the first people to go through this. Yeah, we're not. And 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 if we go back and listen to their voices and we look at their character and see what they did, then we've got a model that we can emulate. Um, it's it's too bad. It's a, it's it's sad for us that sometimes we've we've disconnected ourselves from the wisdom of the ancients. And I'm not just talking about the classics. I'm talking about the stories of our people. I mean, that's what keeps you alive is listening to their stories. Yeah. And I, and, and one of the things that, that uh, I've been thinking a lot about is uh, a couple of weeks ago, my friend Steve Austin and I did, interestingly enough, a Facebook live where we talked mm -hmm. about, um, hypocrisy and why we need hypocrites in our lives and how yeah. bodies of especially bodies of Christ have hurt other people because they tried to fix them or they didn't feel like they fit in and how interestingly enough they don't feel safe in any community whether it's church mm -hmm. or otherwise but how they long for that community and um I'm struck that in the midst of a crisis, what a heck of a time to be finding hope in community or feeling even more isolated. Yeah. So I'll give you a story about that. Um, before moving to Fort Smith, uh, our family lived in uh, hurricane country. We lived in uh, Lake Jackson, Texas, uh, down on the Texas coast just below Houston. And uh, hurricane culture had some similarities in that, you know, when a tornado shows up, uh, you get a quick warning, you grit your teeth, you run to your hidey hole, uh, your safe place or whatever, you wait for it to get past you, and then you breathe a sigh of relief and it's over. 
And then you go out and you check and see what's done and what needs to be fixed. Um, hurricanes, hurricanes play with you before they show up. They, we're going to go this way. We're going to go that way. And it just kind of brews and stews and it's out there in the Gulf. And you're just like, Oh man, you know, and you can do all these preparations. You don't know if it's going to be enough. This flood has a lot of similarities to that because it's the water's rising. We don't know how far it's going to rise. We can predict, predict, predict. We and don't oh know. Oh good. Rain and tornadoes are coming. Yeah. That's which may make it worse. May not make it worse. It might come our way. It might not come our way. But we're not, and I think this is why the stress continues, because we're not reaching that point where we can all say, oh, you know, okay, finally, it's over. We're going in the right direction again. You know, we're getting back, we're adjusting. Okay. But when, I, when we lived in Lake Jackson, we had to learn about these hurricanes and what it was like. The, the, the older ones down there, they, they were really the first generation that lived. They were the pioneers of that area. And they came down there and they turned a swamp into a city. And we just came back from the, 75th anniversary of the of the Lake Jackson Church, and it was it reaffirmed all this again for me. And these people went through incredible danger. I mean, they're like they're they're, they're like pioneers, and they were setting up a chemical plant in a place where you know you even wonder about the wisdom of it. But they went through a few Category Five hurricanes back in those days, and this is all pre Hurricane Katrina. And I remember asking them, I said, "Hey, when do we start to get worried about this hurricane?" You know, because I'm gaining, I'm gaining their wisdom because they've been through this before. I'm not. And I can remember what one of the fellas told me. He goes, I've got my fifth wheel hooked up, ready to go right now. He said, I'm not going anywhere. He said, but as soon as that thing makes a turn to the right, I'm jumping in the car and going. Now, now what I liked about his story, and he had lived through these hurricanes before. And what I loved about his story was, his story was, I'm prepared. But I'm not scared. But if this happens, I know what to do. And I could follow his wisdom. I could just say, you know what? I'm going to do just like he does. Because when I'm listening to the official sources, uh, I'm being told this is either going to be anything from a minor non-event to, again, here comes the word, a, a catastrophe of biblical proportions. You know, and <laughs> I'm like, that doesn't, that doesn't help me, you know. But yet here's my older brother you know, who's been through the, the major hurricanes of that era down there. And he's like, look, if it turns to the right, I'm out of here. Okay. I can, I can do that. So, so it's the know, next to- logical step. Know what your next logical step is. Yeah. I think there's that. I also think, you know, talk to the people who've been there. You know, I'm wondering right now, you know, do we have anybody around who remembers the 1944 flooding? No, but I remember the 1990 flood. Yeah, I, I, I okay. was a reporter at the time, so I remember that. Okay. I'm not that let's, old, Chris. Let's, let's, you know, no, no, but I mean, no, but, but <laughs> you know, the, the, as I understand it, I mean, we've exceeded the 1940s flooding, but yeah. that was quite the deal. But where are their stories? Could those help us right now? I mean, they've seen this. They, they, they knew what it was like. Well, honestly, um, I, th- I think that the difference is the lock and dam was not around at that point. Mm-hmm. So now you've got yeah, the navigation channel, which kind of rewrites everything. It, biblically, it's the idea of wisdom. You know, where, yes. Wisdom. See, there I am, mincing words yeah. with you again. Yeah. yeah. But it, it, it's wisdom. It, wisdom helps us. And 
you know, whatever it is, whether it's historic flooding, whether it's a catastrophe, whether it's just uh, the fact that I've had a string of bad days because I'm mad at myself. What helps me? Other people who've been there before. I'm not, you know, we're not the first people to be in situations like this. Uh, very rarely is that the case. Um, you know, Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin may have been the last examples of that where it's like, you know, Hey, can we talk to anybody who's walked on the moon? Uh, no. Yeah. But the guys afterwards could all say, let's talk to Neil and Buzz. You know, they know what it's like to step out of the lander, you know? So, I mean, all it takes is one person. And then all of a sudden we, we've got it. We're starting to build a database of wisdom and, and we learn from that. And the best people right now are doing that. I mean, they're already out there doing that. But when we as a people are going on about, you know, oh, we're not going to make it. We don't, you know, we, we need to, like, here, you, you sit over here. We got you. We're going to take care of you. And, you know, but you certainly don't want that person driving the car right now. Right. <laughs> it's okay to be anxious. But if you're anxious, name it and just say, okay, how, how do I manage this anxiety? You know, again, that goes back to the idea. It's not about flood prevention. It's flood mitigation. It's not about anxiety prevention. It's about anxiety mitigation. How do you manage the anxiety? By, uh, in ministry, there's, there's kind of one rule that, that me and my fellows all say is that the first rule of ministry is manage yourself. You know, if, if you think you're going to manage everybody else and you haven't managed yourself, you've failed. Um, and that's hard and to do, especially in a time like this. It is. It is. And yet it makes all the difference in the world because right. what kind of a leader or what kind of helper am I if I show up, you know, over there to help you and, and your family sandbag. And the whole time I'm there, I'm like, I don't know why we're doing these sandbags. It's just not going to make any difference. You know, it's like, yeah, you know, it's like, I really think we're all doomed. We're all doomed. And yeah, that's uh, not helpful. Is it? Yeah. You know, if you go into your star Wars archetypes, you know, there's a, there's a reason why Obi-Wan Kenobi, Han Solo and Luke are the leaders and not C-3PO. It's because, you know, those guys know about the force. They, they know, you know, they, they, yeah, even if they don't believe in the force, uh, then, you know, a good blaster will get you through it. But C-3PO, all he ever does is run around and say, we're doomed, we're doomed, we're doomed. You know, we love you, C-3PO, but you're not a leader. You know? That is awesome, Chris. <laughs> okay. A little, little, bit of, little bit of non-biblical metaphor for folks out there. <laughs> That's funny. So he, here's here's kind of what I'm thinking. You're you're a CR guy. Um, yeah. He, here, he, for me, what do you think – What do you, Here's what I think, and I'm I, 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 I'm trying to ask it a question and also give an opinion, so that's where I'm kind of okay. stuttering and getting stuck. I think that a really practical heart check might be a good place for people to start identifying their emotions and learning how to safely share them and then know what to do when their emotions are about to go haywire. You remember heart check? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Am I hurting? Am I exhausted? Am I anxious? Am I resentful? Am I tense? Yeah. What do you think about um, maybe uh, encouraging people how to do that? I've got this little thing that that I can put in the show notes that people can download 
and learn how to do a heart check and try it for the next seven to 10 days and see if that helps. Because what I love about the heart check is it forces us Uh to tag our emotions and then it forces us to reach out to someone and say, I'm kind of scared right now. Mm -hmm. And then invite your tribe in to just sit with you in that emotion. Yeah, I think it's a great idea. I think the heart check is a very useful tool. Uh, Back in November, when I was out of the country and my father had a heart attack, uh, I was using that to manage myself. I think the heart check is a good tool to manage my own emotions. I have just recently learned from my mentors, from my wisdom, from the people of my, you know, my, my, you know, my tribal elders who are giving me, because uh, cause I was going through that and I was noticing all that. And, and one of them said to me, that's all good. He goes, now remember, feelings are not facts. Mm. And that's the next step with the heart check. And, and, and yet I realized too, that that statement can become offensive sometimes to people because Nobody wants to seem like we're not, you know, you don't want to, it's very dangerous these days that if I'm not being affirmed in everything, then there's something wrong with me. It's like, well, it's my fact. No, it's not. It's not your fact. You don't get your fact. I mean, who says that there's Tracy's facts and then my facts? That's no such, that's not a fact. Again, we're tearing words up here, you know, but (laughs) we we live in the day and age of, well, that's your truth, not my truth. Okay. Well then if we all have our own individual truth, I've got a truth. And my truth is, uh, you know, uh, I'm my own God and all that. So you can see where that can go. That's like the dude the who's, is, that's like the dude who, who sued the court and says, I want to change my age. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it, and, it, and it gets that. to the, yeah. And it's, and there's, you know, and then you have these examples of where it goes to the point of being ridiculous. But the thing is, okay, so one of the things that I need uh, from my community and I'm going to give credit for this statement. This statement comes from a fellow named Charles Campbell, uh, who wrote a book called Preaching Jesus. And this statement, one of the best statements in the book, and of all things, it shows up in a footnote. And, 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 uh, and I'm not dissing his book. I'm just saying that you never know where you're going to run across wisdom. He says, the greatest need of people uh, is not whatever we think our needs are. So whenever we claim that we want to be a, we're just a church that meets people's needs. Your needs may not be fact. You may think you know what you need, but the greatest need of people is really to be part of a truthful community. I mean, we want to be a part of the truth tribe. And, and, and the good news in that, and it is good news, is, is that when I say, I am feeling anxious, I'm feeling like we're all doomed, okay, then the fact may be, no, you're going to be okay. You know, and God says that no matter what happens, you're going to be okay. It, it may be tough. It may be difficult. We respect your feeling, but the fact is you're going to be okay. Now, if I'm feeling that, I, and I hear that from my truthful tribe, I don't see that as an insult. I see that as them reassuring me. They are giving me encouragement and saying, you know, strengthen your heart. We're going to be okay. I don't know why that's so offensive to do these days. (laughs) One one of my favorite things is um, my friend Ada will say, I know you're afraid about tomorrow, but are you Mm -hmm. okay right now? 
Yeah. Yeah, I am. Okay. Can you just be good with that right now? Because the future is uncertain. The future is going to be scary. Yeah. We don't know what is going to happen. But are you okay right this minute? Yes, Yeah, there you go. Yeah. And so I think when you do the heart check, you do an inventory, you do a quick inventory, you do a test of who you are and where you're at, and then you have others give you feedback so that you know, okay, okay, here's the, here's the facts. Here's what I need to do. Uh, you know, while we're talking, I'm sitting here and I'm noticing that there's like updates from the city, city leaders. I've got my television muted. I don't know what they're saying, but, you know, I imagine that part of what their task is is to give us some facts. Now, how I feel about those facts is one thing. Some of, and I think this is why the serenity prayer is such beautiful wisdom. Serenity to accept things I can't change. Courage to change the things I can. And it's interesting that it's, it's, not, it's not determination to change things. It's courage. Courage is a virtue. Oh, we need to talk about courage and encouragement sometimes. That it has to do with the, the opposite of it has to do with your 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 insides, your heart, your you know, your your guts, your strength, all of it just melting and you just basically lose everything. And that helps nobody. Hysteria helps no one. So why why do we find it acceptable to lose our head when uh you know, it may be the situation that we experience. It may be what happens to us. But, you know, we surround ourselves with people who can encourage us. Um, yeah, I like what, I like what, that's what aid is doing for you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, just, just kind of wrap things up. Look, yeah. we don't get to tell someone else how not to feel. I mean, how we right. feel is how we feel. Yeah. But one of my favorite questions to ask the people who look to me to be their tribal leader is uh-huh. how you feel is how you feel, but how is how you feel working for you? Yeah. You know, yeah. but but I don't I don't do that until I've listened until that person has emoted enough and and kind of let it run its course. Sometimes the best thing we can do and you know this, is let somebody get all of that junk out of their heads and out into the ether and for us to not react and tell somebody you shouldn't feel that way or even say, right. that's horrible, you're right, we're all going to die. It's yeah. just to sit there and listen yeah. and then to, to, to yeah. get them to the place where right now is okay. Yeah. And, and love compels me to say to that person, you know what? I believe that you can find the resources to manage this. And I don't mean that. No, yeah, you got to handle it on your own, but I'll be right here beside you. I'll be right yeah. here with you. Now, obviously, you know, there's some members of our tribe for one reason or another. If you've got loved ones that have something, you know, their, their feelings are unmanageable for, for one reason or another. And, and, and yet, the rest of us learn how to manage that for them because they, they cannot. Yeah. But, you know, but again, we're getting into details, but yeah, it's, um, you know, sometimes this is why I think the ancients, you know, one of the things that the ancients did was, uh, the ancient tribe, 
they sang songs. And I think, that, and it's interesting because, you know, why didn't they just tell each other facts? Well, because singing a song communicates a fact, but it communicates it in an emotional way that gives you courage. And so, and, and what, what kind of makes me sad is we've, we've, we've lost our songs, you know, our common songs, mm-hmm. uh, but they're out there. We've got new songwriters. We've got people who write songs. So let's grab some songs. And, you know, it's like, you know, yeah, we can do this. And then they, you know, uh, when, you know, yeah, you look at every historical movement, you know, that we draw inspiration from and people sang songs, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, that's, awesome. that's how you managed it. That's how you manage feelings, you know. That's how you manage the unfairness of life. So a couple of quick things. I, I didn't mean for us to talk an hour. Nor, what what, oh, I, what well. I've been trying to do with our change <laughs> journals is making them about 20 minutes. Um, but this is kind oh. of an unprecedented unpre- situation. I'm fine with it. A um, couple of different kind of loose ends. The Habitat for Humanity founder, Millard Fuller. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I heard him speak in Abilene years ago. Yeah, The next thing is, uh, uh, a while back, we you were talking about uh, cattle and how you used to run cattle. Uh, the yeah. way uh, people have been moving their cattle in our area, in, uh, to in, in Sebastian County, to higher ground, and there are some who have had to, to flee their homes, and they, they think their cattle are okay, but just to be safe, they've open the gates to make sure that the cattle figure out a way to get to higher ground. And that's scary. Uh, I can't, yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, we're going to have to be, we're already looking out for deer who have been displaced in the floodwaters. And uh, of course we can't go anywhere right now, but at some point we may have some cattle running around and have to figure out how to, uh, to get them back where they belong after the waters recede. So that's, that's right. startling. Yeah. I know as a cattle guy, you, you, you would find that to be fascinating. Well, sort of. I was just a, I was just a young teenage worker. I, was, I did what I was told. <laughs> sometimes. Yeah. And sometimes that's the best place to be. It's just do what yeah. you're told. Yeah. So with that, uh, I'll, I'll wrap this up. And thank you, Chris, for loving on people, yeah. for listening to check in on people. I know you've got some family things you need to, to, to take care of. Hug Karen for me. And okay. uh, uh, we're going to put uh, how to do a heart check in the show notes. There will be a link there. And uh, hopefully it will help somebody. If anybody has any questions, uh, holler at me. Uh, and and if, yeah. if you've got more questions for Chris, let me know. We'll, we'll hop on uh, a call and, and have this conversation again. Anything we can do to just kind of help people um, sort of, you, you, you started this conversation, Chris, talking about how peop, how the, the national news media is here because we're physically in danger. I just feel like we're emotionally and spiritually also uh, incredibly vulnerable for the next little while as we get used to a new yeah. normal. And so if we yeah. can do anything yeah. to help with that, We'll be happy to do that. So hit us up with your needs, and uh, I'll reach out to Chris and and maybe a few other people, and we'll see if we can't help with that. There you go. Thank you, my brother. Hey, thank you, Tracy. Keep up the good work. All right, that's it. 
We've got this special change, journals that turn into a bit of a marathon. Thank you for listening. I'm Tracy Winchell with Chris Benjamin, preacher at the West Ark Church of Christ in Fort Smith, Arkansas.